Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. If you look around, you can see that we have a number of folks that are away today, and uh, we pray for them wherever they're at, that as they gather with God's people, that God will bless and draw near uh, to them. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. We're delighted to have Tim and Katie Kahn with us this morning. Tim gave his testimony in, in the worship, uh, in the Sunday school hour. And it was a delight to hear how God has worked in his life in bringing him unto himself. And we give thanks to God for that. I mentioned to the folks this morning that Tim will be graduating from Southern Seminary uh, next week. And uh, then the journey begins, a new journey. And so we, we pray for them that God will uh, use them and uh, bless them. He'll be opening up the Word of God in the afternoon service. So I trust you'll stay for lunch and then... Be here for the afternoon as well. Wednesday night we'll meet on Zoom uh, for prayer meeting, so keep that in mind. You see what's there for next Sunday. And then we're again, we're involved in the CPC, the Care Pregnancy Center fundraiser with the baby bottles. The baby bottles are both over here and there at the back door. You're to take them home and you're to fill those baby bottles, not with milk, but with coins or currency or a check, and then have them back here for Father's Day. So uh, please, one per family. If you fill that up, you can come and get another one. But um, this is a fundraiser for the Care Pregnancy Center. And then Ladies Bible Study will be May 21st. You see the information there for that. The new address of Frida is there in your bulletins as well. And then just the reminder that God willing, we'll be having a baptismal uh, service on the 22nd of May. So keep that in mind. Pray for Quentin as he enters the waters of baptism on the 22nd. All right, that's all the announcements that I have. Now as we give ourselves to the worship of our God, there are often times in this life that we wonder, where's God? He seems to be silent. We wonder why the wicked are prospering and uh, things are difficult for the believer. And yet, those are the times we need to stand back and know that God is God that God still has a plan and he's fulfilling that plan perfectly. Zechariah knew something of that. And, and at the end of chapter 2 of Zechariah, he simply read, we read simply, Be silent, all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. And this is the God that we gather to worship this morning. Will you just take a moment to prepare your hearts to worship that God together?
Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from the 105th Psalm. It is a psalm in which we are told to seek the Lord. I think it was Mr. Plumer who said these words, No man, no good man is ever, ever satisfied with what he knows and enjoys of God in this life. But he hopes and longs and prays with groanings that cannot be uttered for a fuller, more ravishing sight and enjoyment of God in glory. May that be something of our experience. We, we seek God here, we enjoy God here, but we long for that fuller, more ravishing sight of our God in glory. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Glory in his holy name. Now let us take our hymns of grace, the hymns of grace hymn book, turning to 126. Behold our God, 126.
Dear Lord, we come to give thanks to you, O Lord, to call upon your name, to sing praises to you, to sing to you, and to speak of all your wondrous works. Glory to you in the highest. Lord, thank you for bringing us, your people, together this morning to praise your holy name, to learn about you, to seek your face, to seek your will and your word. Lord, we pray that this morning you would open our eyes to your word, to what you have for us this morning. That you, your presence would be here, your Holy Spirit would be upon us. That you would keep us attentive to your word, to listen to you and your voice. Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified above all things this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You now take your Trinity hymn books, the Trinity hymn books, 574, 574, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, Have Thine Own Way, 574. chapter 20 for our consecutive reading. 
And as you turn there, let me remind you of where we are in the book of Matthew um, and in Jesus' ministry in general. It happens by God's providence that my kids and their Bible lessons happen to be right here in this place. And their school does a really good job of explaining where in Jesus' ministry is that he is at the time. And so this is after he has raised Lazarus from the dead, and he retreats to Ephraim um, quietly with his disciples. But then he goes back into Galilee. And by now the Jews have a plan to try to kill Jesus. They're actively seeking him to go after him to kill him. And he knows this. And so in the past, some of his ministry has been in secret, but no longer. Now he's on his final trip from Galilee back to Jerusalem for the Passover, where it'll be the triumphant entry, and then he'll be crucified. He's explaining this to his disciples, and it's in here. But not only that, but he's no longer doing things in secret. Now everything is out in the open, and as he's traveling back from from Galilee back to Jerusalem, he's collecting a multitude of people around him. There's a huge crowd gathering with Jesus as he travels back. And that's where we are in this lesson. So here in chapter 20, he's teaching this multitude. And also on his way back to Jerusalem here in chapter 20, we have him coming through Jericho. And in Jericho when he's there, not given in Matthew, but that's also where he meets Zacchaeus. So he's going back from Galilee south uh, through Jericho and to Jerusalem. And then in chapter 21, right after chapter 20, we have his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Okay, Matthew chapter 20. This is the word of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to his hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have only worked one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first. And the first last. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves. And on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day he will be raised up. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons. 
bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and to sit on my left, that is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. Upon hearing this, the ten became indignant with those two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David. Have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Usually as we go to prayer now, we pray for those that we prayed for on Wednesday night through letter or some way of communicating with churches and people around the world. Uh, But last Wednesday night, we did not have our prayer meeting. We had the community prayer service on Thursday night here in town, which I thought was very uh, a good service as the community gathered for prayer as pastors from various evangelical churches around this area led us before the throne of grace as we prayed for the community, for the nation, uh, for first responders and everyone else who's a part of our community. So this morning we shall do the same. We shall pray for our nation and community and ask God to help us to be lights in the midst of a dark world. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we have heard your word read to us this morning, we again are reminded and would certainly agree with the very reality that our God is a generous God. He gives to us far more, far, far more than any of us truly deserve. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, you sent your only Son into the world to be a ransom for us. We thank you for that work on the cross which was accomplished, which brings dead sinners to life. Father, we're thankful that through the atoning work of our Savior, we are no longer in bondage to sin, but now we are a people reconciled to you, that we even have the privilege of coming boldly to the throne of grace and bring our petitions, knowing that our God does hear and answer prayer. Our God is a God of great wisdom, and so even when we don't even know how to ask, we can set these things before you knowing that 
you have a plan and you have a purpose. And you're fulfilling all those things perfectly. So even though at times we may believe you're silent, you're always at work. Fulfilling what you have designed. And therefore, may we be a people who trust in you with all of our hearts and lean not to our own understanding. Father, this morning we particularly pray. We pray for our nation. We pray for our state and our community. Father, these are days of a lot of upheaval, a lot of unsettledness, a lot of anxiety. As we think as the nation has gone through the pandemic, as we see inflation, as we have concerns about laws that are being made and passed that are contrary to the things that you've told us to do. Father, help us as a people not to fret. Help us as a people to trust in you. But Father, we do pray for our leaders. We pray that you would give them wisdom in in the decisions that they must make day after day. Surround them with good counselors that would help them in making those decisions. But Father, we would even pray now that you would raise up leaders for our land who love you, who have a fear of God, who consider others more important than themselves. Father, would you give us that? We would ask for that mercy. We know that we don't deserve it. We know as a nation we deserve your wrath, but we thank you that you're a merciful God and we would cry out for our nation, for our state, that you would have mercy upon us. Father, we would pray that you would draw near to us as we open your word. May the Spirit of God come through the Word of God and help us to look and examine our own hearts and lives. And where there is sin, Father, may we be quick to confess and forsake it, where by Your grace and the work of Your Spirit we are, we are living the lives that are pleasing in Your sight. Oh, Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would continue to work in us, that we would continue to pursue that path to the glory of our God. So we commit our time to you. Use it. How we pray that even today, in this place, you would be pleased to open blind eyes and grant faith and repentance to some who may even sit among us. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your hymns of grace once again, turning to 365. 365 ancient words ever true. And I I will tell you, this song goes through my head a lot during the week as I'm studying Deuteronomy. Ancient words ever true. And so will you stand with me and let us sing together 365.
seated. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. This morning we come to verse 10 and we will go through the end of the chapter. So Deuteronomy 10, starting in verse 10. Before we look at that passage, I just want to remind you of what Daniel chapter 11 and verse 31 says. Daniel 11:31 says this, The people who know their God will display strength and take action. The people who know their God will display strength and they will take action. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, writes about the effect that the knowledge of God ought to have on a man's life. Dr. Packer sets forth four propositions which he says we witness in the book of Daniel. Four propositions that say something about the effect that the knowledge of God has on a man's life. And I'll simply set the four before you. He says, those who know God have great energy for God. Secondly, he says, those who know God have great thoughts of God. Thirdly, those who know God show great boldness for God. And finally, those who know God have great contentment in God. And I pray that each of us recognize our great need to know God, to know God better, and to know God in such a way that it has an effect upon our lives. And that's what we find here in this passage. Moses reminds the children of Israel who God is and also tells them how that ought to affect their lives. So now Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting at verse 10. I moreover stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights like the first time. And the Lord listened to me that, that time also. The Lord was not willing to destroy you. And then the Lord said to me, Arise, proceed from your, on your journey ahead of the people. They may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, Israel, what does the Lord require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I am commanding today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens and earth and all that is in it. Yet on your yet. On your fathers did the Lord set His affection to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. So circumcise your heart 
and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty, the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows His love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. And you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and cling to Him. And you shall swear by His name. He is your praise and He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. We'll stop our reading there. In many ways, from chapter 6 and verse 4, where we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses has been engaged in opening up in greater detail the first word of the Ten Commandments. You, you shall have no other gods before me. And, and in many ways, he's expositing that command starting at verse 4 of chapter 6 and will do so through chapter 11. He is calling these people to be passionate and devoted to the one true and the living God. Do not place any other gods before Him or before His face. You're to love Him, obey Him, fear Him, worship Him as the one true and the living God. Your forefathers, I mean, you can imagine Moses saying, your forefathers have not done very well in doing that. Now as you're about ready to take possession of that land which He promised your forefathers, will you do better? Will you be a people so taken up with God and passionate about God that you'll be a people marked by obedience and love and fear and worship of the one true and the living God. As we come to open up this passage of Scripture, we will hear two things in particular. We'll hear about the activity of God, and then we will hear about the response of God's people. Moses is going to remind us and remind his hearers concerning who God is. And with that reminder comes the challenge, how will you respond? This is how you ought to respond. So two simple points. First of all, the activity of God. The activity of God. Moses is going to set before the people the one true and the living God. And what will be your response? Because of who God is, 
the people should respond. And, and there are a couple, three or four different things he says about God in this passage that ought to have a bearing on your life. The first thing I would point out is that He is the Creator. He is the One who is over all things. He, he created all things. Look at verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the highest heaven, earth, and all that is in them. Everything belongs to God. Why? Because He created everything. Remember, Job asked the question there in Job 10 and verse 10, Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and muscles? Is that not your doing? You made me. You made me. Children, you're, you're familiar with the catechism question. Who made you? God. What else did God make? All things. All right? I may not do very well with the Westminster Catechism or the Shorter Catechism. I have the children's catechism down. Who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. And those things that He make, He makes, He would have affection toward. You know, when you make something, you tend to have a greater affection for that. I, I think I've used this illustration before. You know, I, when, I, when I was in kindergarten... And, and that was a few years ago. We, we made a Christmas ornament. I made that Christmas ornament with my own hands. And now, over 60 years later, I have that. Now, it's made of, of a light bulb. I'm not sure we can still do that in school anymore, have kids make something with a light bulb that breaks and shatters, but, but I still have that thing. My mom had it for years. She gave it to me. So now, when we get out our Christmas decorations, I'll tell you, that which I made, I take special care of. I will tell you, it's not just thrown in the box with the other Christmas decoration. It has a special box. And it has a special wrapping for it. We don't even just throw it in its special box. We wrap it up. I made that thing. And we all often find that to be the case. When you make something, you're attentive to it. You're careful with it. You're thoughtful about it. And God says, I made you. You belong to me. I care about you. The fact that God Almighty cares about us and made us, does that not call for a response on our part? Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You have made it all. 
This is your work. Psalm 24 and verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. He is our Creator. He made it all. Secondly, in this passage, we're confronted with the reality that He is sovereign. He is sovereign. Look at verse 15. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set His affection to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, even you above all the peoples, as it is this day. God owns everything, though He needs absolutely nothing, and He chooses sovereignly to set His love upon a people. This is amazing. Amazing electing love. Why did Moses look out over the children of Israel and say, God chose you over all the others? Why did God choose them? Now some of you may say, because they're the descendants of Abraham. Right? Well then let me ask you this. Why did God choose Abraham? What was special about that man? What was it that God saw in him that says, oh, in light of what I see, I'm going to choose you. That's how we choose people, isn't it? All right? You're getting ready to play a little kickball game and you got to choose sides and you look at the people there. You don't look at... You're looking for the guy that looks like he's got a good kick to him. I'm going to choose him. I think he'll be beneficial to my team. That's not what God does. God simply, divinely selects. And He sovereignly set His love upon Abraham, not because of anything that he saw that was appealing to Abraham, but only by his own divine, sovereign, electing love. Remember back in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 7? The Lord did not set His love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any of the people's. For you were the fewest in number. God didn't choose you because you were better than anyone else. We are all dead in our trespasses and sin. God sees nothing good in any of us left to ourselves. But in His own divine selectivity, He set His love upon a peculiar people. Deuteronomy 7 goes on to say this, Because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your fathers. The Lord loved them. You know why? He loved them because He loved them. He loved them because He loved them. And He sovereignly set His love upon this people by His own divine selectivity. His election. 
He is sovereign. And you think about that. Why did God choose me? Did He see something good within me? Did He say to me, Oh, i got to have that person because of this and that that I see in their lives? No. And yet He still selected. He chose me before the foundation of the world to be one of His children. My friend, does that not call a response from us? Thirdly, He is not only Creator and He is Sovereign, but He is righteous. He is righteous. Look at verse 17 and 18. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great and mighty, the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take bribes. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows His love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. Don't expect to bribe God to get to heaven. He won't take a bribe. Don't think that you can pay your way in to having a right relationship with God by, by something you do or by your bloodline. Those things do not work. God won't take a bribe. He will not show partiality. Well, well, you know, I, I'm part of, of the so-and-so family, and, and we've been in this church since its very beginning, and, and therefore uh, we should have some favor with God because of who we are. As though God will look down, and, and it's almost as though, here, here's a $10 bill, just... just let me be a part of the family. God won't do that. God won't do that. God does that which is right and good. God takes care of the orphans and the widows. He'll fight for them. He'll, he'll provide for them. Here is a God who who gives direction for the care of the needy and the poor and the hurting among us. Take care of them. I care for them. We should, we should abominate a society where, where there's one standard for the rich and another standard for the poor. God doesn't work that way. He'll do what is right and good. And doesn't a righteous God call for a response from us? And then fourthly, He is faithful. He is faithful. Notice verses 21 and 22. He is your praise. He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. He's saying God, God is, is faithful to His Word. 
God is faithful to His Word. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is given this promise that he would be the, the father of a great nation. Genesis 17, verses 15 and 16, again, the promise is given. And, and God says, you'll be the father of a great nation. And, and here Moses says something about, they went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all. I mean, I, I would almost step back and say, what do you mean? They started with two. Abraham and Sarah. And their, bo their bodies as good as dead. And God says, I'm going to do something I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And then they end up down in Egypt and they're living in bondage. And how many times must they have questioned, you know, when is this going to come to pass? When are we going to get into this land? When is God going to fulfill His Word? Is God going to keep His Word? Is God going to be a faithful God? And now Moses stands before them and he says, look around you. Look at these numerous amount of people. God is keeping His promise. And you're about ready to go into that promised land. Just as God promised. He is faithful to His Word. There must have been days when it must have seemed like this would be an impossible event. It would never come to pass. But here they are. God's keeping His Word. And, and even think about it, as we, as we read previously, when, when, when they began to worship idols and they made the golden calf and, and they lived immoral lives and, and God became angry and God says, I want to destroy them. I'm going to destroy them. And yet Moses interceded for them and he prayed for them and he even argued that, that God would, would keep His Word. These are your people. Watch over them. Do as you said. Bring them into the land. And through that intercessor of that mediator, God showed mercy. God is a faithful God who will keep His Word. And doesn't His faithfulness demand a response from us. So here we have the activity of God. He is the Creator. He is the Sovereign. He is righteous. He is faithful. But then here in this passage, Moses goes on to speak about the response or the reaction of God's people. The reaction because God is Creator and Sovereign and righteous and faithful, how should we react? And this passage tells us. Now, I believe in this passage we have a primary action that is then followed by how this primary reaction looks in the life of a believer. So the primary reaction that Moses points the people to is this. A life marked by a fear of God. A life marked by a fear of God. Verse 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord require from you but to fear the Lord your God? Going on down to verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God and you shall serve Him and cling to Him. You, you should be a people that fear God. Now, now, Brother Tim this morning talked about 
hearing about the fear of God and thinking about dread and terror. And, and there is that part of the fear of God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. He's a, he's a consuming fire. But primarily in the Scriptures, as our brother mentioned this morning, when we think of the fear of God, what we're thinking of that reverence, that, that adoration, that, that sense of awe and wonder about a great God who, who watches over us. As we've gone through the book of Deuteronomy... I trust you, you've seen several themes that, that Moses keeps repeating. And one of those themes are, you ought to be a people that, that fear God. I won't take time to read them, but just a sampling. You can go to chapter 4 and verse 10, chapter 5 and verse 29, chapter 6 and verse 2, verse 13, verse 24, chapter 8 and verse 6. Fear God. Be a people that fear God. There ought to be a profound sense of an awe towards God. And, and to live in the fear of God means I live under the all-seeing eye of God. This awesome and, and, and one who deserves adoration watches everything I do. And I want His smile upon my activity, upon what I say, upon where I go. I want God to be well pleased. I want this wonderful God to be pleased with my life. The Apostle Paul, when, when speaking about the depravity of man, there in Romans, he, he says in chapter 3 and verse 18, that, that one of the marks of depravity is this. There's no fear of God before their eyes. There's no thought of God. They live as if there was no God. And Moses is telling these people, here's one of the primary marks of your life. You ought to be a people that fear God. Thomas Watson says, this fear is the reverencing, the adorning of God's holiness and the setting of ourselves under His sacred inspection. Setting ourselves under His sacred inspection. So the fear of God means I live my life recognizing that there is only one true God. There's one God who's the Creator. There's the one true God who, who is righteous, who, who is faithful. And I live under His constant inspection. Hearing and seeing my life. John Murray, in his book, Principles in Conduct, has a chapter on the fear of God. And he says this, and I think I've given you this before, but it's a wonderful quote. He says, The first thought of a godly man in every circumstance is God's relationship to him and to it. And his and its relationship to God. The fear of God is, is in every circumstance I consider what is 
this circumstance relationship to God and to me? And, and what is God's relationship to it? That is, John Murray goes on to say, that is God consciousness. That, what is, that, that is what the fear of God entails. God consciousness. That's what the fear of God entails. Are we a people that fear God? Pastor Albert N. Martin in his book, The Forgotten Fear, says this, the fear of God is the potting soil in which a holy life is produced. The fear of God is the potting soil that the fear of God, the fear of God is a potting soil that produces a holy life. If we want to be a godly people, we need to fear God. We need to realize I'm always under His inspection. And so how I behave and how I react and how I live in this world, I'm always conscious that my great God is there, always watching. But then there are, there are other sub-points under this that, that sort of, I, th- I believe, describes and gives us detail concerning what's displayed in the life of a man who fears God. And there are four of them. I would simply set them before you from the passage. First of all, a life lived in total obedience. A life lived in total obedience. When the Word of God is clear, I must be obedient. And it's not a matter of my situation may apply differently. I'm amazed at the number of times people come and say, I I know that's what the Word of God says, but in light of my circumstances, as though God, when, when He gave us His Word, had no idea what you were going through. If he had an idea of what you were going through, he probably would have made a little paragraph or or, a little parenthesis that says, well, except in the case of, you know, John Brown who may be going through some other things. No. This is how I ought to live. When I hear the Word of God, I must be found obedient to that Word. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and the story about the two houses, one built upon the rock and one built upon the sand? Did you ever really listen to what what it says about the man who built his house upon the sand? Here's what it says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. He hears the Word, but there's no response. It doesn't affect how he lives. And the house fell, and great was its fall. Great was its fall. Notice here in chapter 10 and verse 16 what what Moses says to these people. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. Sometimes that's how we behave.
We stiffen our necks. Those of us who are parents may know of those times where we said to our children, children, listen, look at me, look at me, listen to me. And they go, and you've got to take them here and bring it over. I said, look at me. And that's how sometimes we approach the Word. God says, thou shalt. And we stiffen our neck. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. We need to be obedient to the Word of God. Hear, O Israel, verse 12, what does God require of you to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways? Keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes that I'm commanding you today for your good. Be obedient. Be obedient. I mean, on on the top of my sermon notes every week, I have this title because I believe it's what Deuteronomy is all about. It is a call to love and obey the one true God. This God who is the Creator of all things. This God who is sovereign over all things, faithful and righteous. Is your life marked by obedience to His Word? Secondly, It is a life lived in sincere love. Sincere love. What's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You're to love God sincerely. And that love should be demonstrated. And what's the second? What's the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is that which ought to mark us as a people who fear God. Again, verse 12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and love Him. Love Him. Are you known by your love for God? Is that demonstrated in how you live in this world? Do you love others? Is that demonstrated in thinking more highly of them than you do of yourself? Verse 19, he again says that you're to show love to the aliens, for you're, you are aliens in the land of Egypt. Man, you ought to show love to the needy, to the poor, as you have opportunity. I think sometimes we can become hard to that because so many people use it wrongly. And I understand that. But we ought to look for opportunities to demonstrate our love for those who we're not drawn to just automatically to show love to them. I was at Dollar General this week. And the guy in front of me was buying some things. And, and I'm, you know, we have little things on the floor there, so i got to stand so far back, but I could hear him say, I'm $9 short. Um, Can I take this back? He rang it up and got done. She looks at him and says, I still need 49 cents. And and he turns around to me, do you have 49 cents? (laughs) And jokingly, I said, yeah, 
as long as I get paid back a dollar, I'll give you the 49 cents. But then I said, no, I gave him the 49 cents. And he walks out. And then I pay for my thing. And, and I walk out. And as I'm walking out, this man is right there at the door putting his stuff in the car. And, and he turns around and he says, I, I know you. I said, you know me? Yeah, I know who you are. How do you think you know who I am? And then he says, the jail. I've heard you preach many times in the jail. And, and I want to thank you for doing that. Because I want you to know it, it can make a difference. And I said, are you staying out of jail? And he says, yes, I haven't been in since. And he gave me the date. And I oh, great, that's good to hear. But, but I couldn't help but think, you know, I mean, part of me is like, first of all, I'm in a hurry. And I got a guy in front of me who doesn't have enough money, so they have to ring something up again. And then he's still 49 cents, and everything within me, my flesh is rising up saying, Come on, man, I got things to do. That was my fleshly response, but thankfully it didn't come out. There are opportunities. I mean, even the baby bottle drives, an opportunity we have to help those that are in need. To love the aliens, the strangers, the ones we're not naturally gravitated to. Our lives should be marked by sincere love. Thirdly, a life lived by sacrificial devotion. Sacrificial devotion. Look at verse 12 again. What does the Lord require of you? Fear the Lord your God, walk in all of His ways, love Him, and serve Him. Serve Him. Look at verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve Him. The, the term serve there typically means to worship. In other words, your, your life should be a life that is marked out by the recognition that where, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I am a living sacrifice to the glory of God. I, I want to live my life completely for Him. I, I desire not, not to just give Him a couple hours on a Lord's Day, but I want to be that living sacrifice that, that draws people to Him as I live every day. So whether I'm in a classroom or the grocery store or whether I'm at home taking care of dirty laundry, I want my life of service to be a time of adoration and praise to my God that's demonstrated even in how I carry those things out to serve Him. Is my life a living sacrifice to, towards Him? The world's going to try to squeeze you into its mode. Remember, remember what the Apostle Paul said there in Romans 12. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of God's mercies, that you present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto Him, which is your reasonable service. You know what that sounds like? In light of what God has done for you, isn't it only reasonable that you respond in a way that demonstrates that you want to live your life for Him? Isn't that reasonable it's sad the number of people who profess they've known the mercy of god and yet their life is not a light to that reality a life that is lived with sacrificial devotion and then finally a life lived in honest actions A life that is lived in honest actions. Look at verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him, cling to Him, and you shall swear by His name. Now, we've heard that before. Swear by His name. What's He calling us to with this terminology? Well, the idea is I'm, I'm conducting my business every day while in evoking his oversight god you see the way i did this i want your approval i want you to bless and if you can't bless it then you judge it we looked at it before but we'll do it again look at exodus 22 because it tells us something about how this is done exodus chapter 22 and verse 10 If a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep for him and it dies or is hurt or is driven away while no one is looking, an oath before the Lord shall be made by the two of them that he has not laid hands on his neighbor's property and its owner shall accept it and he shall not make restitution. But if he actually stole from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. You get the picture? Modern day language. I'm going to go away for a week. Will you keep my dog? And you keep my dog? And while you're keeping my dog, he either falls sick and dies or he runs away. But it wasn't anything that you did or caused to happen. The two of us will then swear by God. We'll make an oath before God. This is really what's happened. God knows. And then no restitution needs to be made. In other words, I'm calling God to be a witness that what I'm telling you is absolutely true. He simply got sick and he died. And God is my witness. And that's what we live our days, every day. The things I do, the places I go, God is my witness. I swear by His name. This is what I did. This is what I'm doing. And so my life is marked by honest actions before God. This is our God. So how do we respond? Is your life marked by a fear of God? I mean, just think. 
God set His love upon you. Not when you were pretty, but when you were at your ugliest. You had no life and He gave you life. And He gave His only begotten Son to be a sacrifice and to take the wrath that you deserve. Doesn't that call for a response? Doesn't that call for you to react? Moses is saying to these people, here's how you ought to react. Fear God. Obey God. Be devoted to God. Love God. Love one another. Be honest in your dealings. This is how your life ought to be marked. May God help us to be a people who know our God and respond as we ought. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, well, I'm not responding that way. That may be, it may be an indication of of your true condition, that you're lost still, that you have no relationship to that God. And now's the time to turn from your sin and come to Christ. But for many of us, by God's grace, we live such lives in this world. Maybe some of them need to be so bold as to look at our spouses and say, Honey, do you see something of this in my life? You know me better than anybody. Do you see this in me? Well, may God bless the study of His Word. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, again we thank You for Your Word and the direction we receive from it. Father, we're thankful that many of us can say by Your grace we have a relationship with You. Because of the work of Your Son, Jesus Christ, we've been reconciled to You. Uh, Father, we pray that as we know You to be the God who created all things, the God who is sovereign over all things, the God who is faithful, uh, the God who is righteous. Father, may that have a real response in our lives. And may we ever be growing in that. As, As we seek You and know You better, may that response be all the greater. May our relationship to You be real. May it be sincere. May it be a light to a world. So Father, take Your Word and use it for good, we pray, as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in closing, take your hymns of grace. Hymns of grace, hymn 407. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows row, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. 407 in the hymns of grace. It's in both hymns. I'm not sure if it's the same song, but we're singing out of the hymns of grace. 47. Let's stand together as we sing.
having lunch together, and then after lunch around 1.45, we'll gather together for another worship service, or our brother will open the word of God to us. You are dismissed.